Y'all, you're in for such a treat. You get to listen in on a conversation with my real-life bestie, Rebecca Joyner, of It's Not Rocket Science. Rebecca's a former high school science teacher and soon-to-be mom of three kids, and I'm telling you, by the time this airs, she will have just had her third baby, which is so exciting. As the CEO and founder of It's Not Rocket Science, Rebecca writes creative and comprehensive science curriculum that engages students and simplifies teachers' lives so that teaching does not have to be rocket science. She also has her own podcast. It's called Secondary Science Simplified. So if you know any secondary science teachers, go ahead and send them her way because her podcast is super informative. But back to our show and our topic. We're talking all things classroom lesson and classroom management. And when I brought up this topic, it kind of just wrote itself. I wanted to hear from a teacher who does this really well. And I've seen her do this. We work together. You get to hear a little bit of our background story and how we became friends and how we know each other. But something that I really admire about Rebecca is that she firmly believes that the root of a successful classroom management system and of successful classroom lessons are really just building relationships with students inside and outside the classroom. We cover a ton in this episode, and I know that you're going to have so many things that you'll be able to take right from here and implement them the next time you head into a classroom. So without further ado, let's get to this week's show. High School Counseling Conversations is a podcast where we talk about exactly that, a casual potpourri of school counseling topics intended to grow us as school counselors, but also give us space to enjoy each other's company. I'm Lauren from Counselor Click, and I'm sharing my experiences and perspectives as a high school counselor. No topic is off limits, and I'm certain we'll cover it all. I'm your high school counseling hype girl, here to help you energize your school counseling program and remind you of how much you love your job. Whether you're just getting your feet wet as an intern or you're nearing retirement, you'll feel like you're just popping in to catch up with your school counseling bestie. Let's go. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm so great. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have our lifelong dream come to fruition here as we get to record a podcast together. I think this is something we've been dreaming of. We've talked about this so much and... We constantly are talking via voice memo, Slack, email, now, carrier pigeon. Now we have podcast recording to add to our list of communication. Perfect. We've got our headphones on and our microphone set up. So hopefully this sounds good. We are going to be talking about classroom management and classroom lesson planning because as high school counselors, we don't have a lot of training on that. And you as a former high school teacher have a lot of training on that. So I wanted to bring in the big guns for this episode and have somebody who knows high schoolers well and knows how to work with them and get points across to their crazy little brains. And uh, so I thought of you. So tell us, well, you tell everyone how we know each other and kind of give a little background about your teaching experience. So back when I finished my undergraduate degree at Clemson, I was moving to my first big girl teaching job and everyone kept telling me I needed to meet this girl. They're like, you're going to be best friends with her. And that was you. And so we got introduced and we became roommates before you actually ended up getting a job at the same school as me. So we met at our first teaching jobs together, which was awesome. And then we got to live together and do all sorts of other things together. But we, so my experience is teaching at that large public high school with you. 
And then I moved with my husband for his job. And I spent a couple of years in a small private school. And I've taught a variety of science classes, mainly ninth through 12th grade, with a few sections of eighth grade that were given to me as a as a special, gift. As a special gift. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because Rachel from Bright Futures Counseling, you know, saw us interact on Instagram before. But she said, I didn't realize that y'all were roommates and that you worked at the same school. I don't know how she thought we were friends living in different places now, but I had to explain to her our backstory. So thank you for parsing that out for the listeners. We go way back. You delivered my wedding dress to me on our wedding day. Nothing says friendship like that. Nothing says friendship by trusting you with your wedding gown. It was nerve wracking. So hopefully (laughs) I'm trusting this podcast interaction to you too. And so hopefully you can deliver to my listeners like I delivered on your wedding day. Exactly. I'm here for you. Okay. Let's jump in. Um, So you said you had six full years of full-time experience in your public and private high school setting. So you taught all kinds of students, mostly ninth grade, eighth and ninth grade. Oh, you taught upperclassmen too. So you do have all grade levels experience. Um, Would you choose to work in the high school level again? Would you ever work with elementary or middle or like high school is your sweet spot? I will never ever work with anyone other than high schoolers. I love high schoolers. I love getting students the last few years before they're sent off into the world on their own. I love watching them grow and mature. Like I I got to teach ninth grade biology and then AP biology, which was juniors and seniors. So the transformation of those students over the course of four years was so fun to watch. And I love the relationships that you form with high school students that can last a lifetime. I just went to a wedding a week ago, an outdoor wedding, thanks to the pandemic for an old student that I had. And it was just so sweet. And it's so funny because when I was in graduate school, our professors kept pushing us to take, we only had to take two extra classes to be certified to teach middle school science too. And I purposefully did not sign up for them because I was like, I do not want to be certified K six through 12. I only want to be certified nine through 12. And then I ended up at a private school that was K through 12. And they slipped in a few eighth grade science sections for me. And to be honest, it wasn't as bad as I anticipated. There was actually a lot of sweetness with those eighth graders, but high schoolers forever and always are my people. And so when I get back in the classroom one day after having all these babies, I'm going back to my high schoolers. I feel you. I feel super awkward around middle schoolers. I I mean, the only reason I could maybe do elementary school now is because I have young kids, but even right. then I'm like, I don't even know how to talk to elementary or middle So some of my high school counselors listening to this will probably resonate. And it was cool to me what you just said, because it made me realize that whether you're a counselor or you're a teacher, when you're in it for the right reasons to see kids grow and change, like we're in this together so that we can have this partnership as counselors and teachers, we're in it for the same thing. So that was cool just to hear you say that of, um, we both love high schoolers for the same reasons and getting to work in a school um, we'd come home with similar stories, even though we were doing oh, very yeah. different things. <laughs> exactly. We're talking classroom management because that's something that we don't have a lot of training on. Um, I'm, I'm saying we, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people because I feel like that was my grad school program and my experience going into the high school and working there for almost 10 years. It, I was just kind of winging it. I felt like, so across the board, whether you're a counselor or a teacher or just an adult in front of high school students, what is a mistake that you think adults 
make when they're in front of high school students? Like, what do you see them doing or maybe talk from the teacher side and what could they do instead? I think the biggest mistake is demanding respect when it hasn't been earned. And I think this is a really big shift in society and our culture over the last decade where, you know, when we were in middle school and high school, you gave respect to all authority. It was automatically given. But I just think with how the world has been over the last decade, our students have a lot of trust issues and respect is not something that they just automatically feel comfortable giving over. And so I think the biggest mistake is seeing people come in and being an authority figure and demanding respect rather than earning the right to be heard with students. So how do you do that without feeling like you're trying too hard to be like the cool person? I don't know. Like, how do you ask for respect? Like I'm thinking people struggle with being too much the friend and too much the authoritarian, like one end of the spectrum or the other. How do you find that sweet spot? I think the most important thing is authenticity and being yourself. I think something I learned in the years, later years of my teaching career is I need to not try to be like all these other teachers and I need to be me as a teacher. You know, like for instance, I am not maternal really at all. Like I was concerned when I started having my own family that I my maternal instincts wouldn't kick in because I was never that teacher that had that like motherly vibe. But I had some coworkers who just did that so well and they love students so well through that. But when I tried to do that, it just came off so inauthentic. And so I think leaning into what are your strengths and your personality and your skill set and just being you is what students need. They don't need you to be trying to be someone else because they can totally sniff out any sort of inauthenticity whatsoever. And that will immediately wash like any chance of respect you could potentially garner. Totally. So just because you don't have this big personality, like I'm speaking, I'm not speaking to you and me because we've got the personality to entertain. (laughs) But you know, the counselor who feels like, okay, Classroom lessons are my least favorite part of the job. I'm quieter or I'm shyer by nature. I don't choose to stand up and talk in front of people, let alone entertain a high school student who doesn't want to listen to me for 55 minutes or something. So do you have um, any other advice for, for that person who is completely drained by having to fake it till they make it kind of in front of, you know, even just to project their voice or something like sometimes that's really straining for people. Okay. I think it comes down to two things because this is makes so much sense and is so natural. One is that there are students that are introverted too. Like not every student is a super outgoing student and that's really overwhelming to some students as well. So it's okay to be yourself and not have to come in and be this big entertainer that like takes over the classroom because that's, you're not going to be able to connect with every single student in that way. And so that's okay. So being yourself is okay. I'm very introverted by nature. I can be outgoing and I can put it on, but it really drains me. And I'll say too, that as someone who is outgoing, I'm like, I have to look at that student in the class and say, I'm overwhelming that student right now. I need to take it down a notch and slow it down and go over and have a conversation with them individually as they're starting to work on things. Totally. And then I think the second thing that's so important is relationships. When you prioritize relationships with students, then when you're walking into a classroom, even if you don't know every single student in that classroom, there are some familiar faces. And that's going to take that some of that anxiety away of being in front of the classroom because you're not talking to complete strangers. 
you hopefully know at least a handful of students in that room. That's so true because when we split our caseloads differently, all of a sudden I was going into classrooms where I did not know everyone in the classroom, but I would make sure that in examples that I was giving, I would say something like, you know, on Noah's resume, he might write that he works at Chick-fil-A because I knew that about Noah because we had we had this working relationship or, you know, Kaylee is going to put that she was the varsity captain of the soccer team, you know, and then I could incorporate that and other kids ears perked up because they realized, wait, she has some credibility with these other kids. Like I'm going to listen, like maybe she'll know me too. Or, you know, maybe by the time this is done, I can identify who that counselor is now. Totally. And I think this would come so much more naturally when you are working on a grade level caseloads, because you're going to know more of the people in the grade as opposed to like an alphabetized caseload. But I love that because I think showing your relationships with some students can show the other students you don't necessarily know yet that you are someone who cares and that you want to build relationships. I think the key to earning respect and the right to be heard is proving your competence and your care that you know what you're talking about um, and that you actually care about them. And I think the best way to show that you care about them is going to support students, whether that's in their extracurriculars and or walking through the lunchroom. And then you can kind of meet their friends that are on the basketball team or sitting with them at their table. And at least then they know your face. Even if you don't have like a one-on-one relationship with that student, they know you care and that they've seen your face before. And that's going to earn so much street cred at the front of the classroom, I feel like. And then also showing your competence is huge. Like showing that you are bringing something valuable to them with the knowledge that you're sharing. Because I can tell you right now, it is hard to get up front. Y'all know and teach about something that students are not jazzed to learn about. Like for me as a biology person, cellular respiration, like that just does not get them very excited. So you're saying students don't want to learn about how to read their transcript or something like that? Yeah, not necessarily, but... (laughs) you can show them the value in it. And then that's going to show your competence. And then that's going to help earn that respect and that relationship there. Well, as high school counselors, this kind of moves into this topic. Some of the information that we do have to get across is just information. It doesn't feel fun. I mean, even at the most basic level, like if counselors don't go into classrooms that much, the most basic lesson that they're probably going in to do is something that is very information heavy. It's about state scholarships, which is overwhelming and confusing. It's about reading a transcript, which sometimes is really depressing when the student's grades aren't where they thought they were, or you know they're comparing to their friends. So sometimes it just feels like a downer when we go in there. And then kind of with the confidence thing, not just the competence part, but the confidence counselors lack confidence because they're afraid they're going to mess up with that information. So sometimes it just feels dry and boring. So how can we spice it up? Like what can we bring to the lesson that takes something that just feels like information and brings life to it? Trust me, I 100% get that. I have had to teach so much content that is so not fun, but it's on the state EOC exam. So it has to be covered. So I get that. So I think As much as you possibly can find something relevant about it or show them the value in it outside of just, hey, I'm coming in here for 10 minutes, that's important. Because even those examples you just said, they do have value. Like you were talking about state scholarships. 
Students want money. They would love to see what they could spend their money on if they were able to save it by having a scholarship. So even just bringing in something like that. And then I think the other thing, which we mentioned earlier, is just being yourself and being authentic. Like if you are an innately goofy kind of funny person, bring the content in a way that makes them laugh. You know, but if you're not on social media, please don't try to do a TikTok dance like at the front <laughs> of the classroom. Like that if would it be doesn't so cringeworthy. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, just don't try to be someone you're not. You know, like again, when I was trying to be this like motherly figure to my students, it just the vibe was not there and they could <laughs> they see saw that. right through it. Yeah. And you can be honest, like you can come in there and say, Hey. This is not going to be the most exciting thing ever, but guess what? You're getting out of chemistry class for 20 minutes. So let's do Do you this. recommend saying that when the teacher is still there or would you be offended as the teacher to hear that? I personally would not be offended. I would laugh, but I also think that comes in having a relationship with the teacher is huge. And I think this really helps if you are also that counselor that feels a little bit more introverted. Like you're hopefully when you're walking in the classroom, the teacher's not just like walking out for a coffee break. They could stay in there and you could be in there together and they can help you with that management from the front. But that's where I think having a rapport with the teacher is huge because then you could make a joke like that. And yeah, some of my most pivotal relationship building with the teacher, I feel like would be before and after the class. You know, the teacher's like, hey, I'm just going to sit here and do my work. You know, maybe they lift their head up for a second to help you with a tech problem or give some eyes to a student who won't cut it out. But for the most part, like they're sitting there, but them having that shared experience, your shared experience together actually lets the teacher see that you are confident and competent in your job. And the teacher usually learns something from the presentation just by halfway listening that they can turn around and reinforce in class the next day. I love the conversations that would come out of, because I have a relationship now with the teacher, the teacher trusts me, and then they reinforce that information that we learned into tomorrow's lesson. And it's it's cool to see how it continues on after we leave the classroom. Exactly. And I think there's so much that teachers and counselors can do together if they have a partnership and utilize each other. Like I would be more willing to give up my class time to a school counselor if I had a relationship with them and felt like what they were bringing to my students would really help them and vice versa. And so I think that's where having that relationship on on a faculty level too is a game changer, not just with your students. Exactly, exactly. Okay, this one is polarizing to some people. Are you a fan of icebreakers or something that gets the class moving or do you hate them with everything in you? Like how can... We as counselors, especially when you don't have that solid relationship with the whole class yet, how can you make everyone comfortable and still use activities to get to know each other and get moving and bring some fun and excitement to maybe a really long class period? Right. I feel like my feelings on icebreakers are directly proportional to the number of espresso shots I've had that day. (laughs) So it absolutely depends. But I think that is how it is for our students too. Like some of our students are going to love icebreakers and they're going to be so pumped that you're doing it. And then some will hate them. And so I think the key is anytime you're doing anything, like this is how I'm lesson planning as well, is I'm not doing anything for 90 minutes. Like if you're doing an icebreaker, you're doing it for five minutes and then you're moving on. So that way the kid that is like on the inside feels like the life is being sucked out of them like a Dementor in Harry Potter. It's only five minutes. 
And then you're moving on to the next thing. Well, and adults are like that too. I don't know how many times I talk to adults at faculty meetings who are like, please don't call me up front. Please don't put the spotlight on me. Like that is the worst nightmare. So I get it as adults too. Like somebody here is listening on the polarized side of this saying, I hate them. I will never do them. But even if you hate them, there might be some value in it too. Right. And I think coming up with icebreakers that also students can do with a partner or in a small group that isn't like so individualized that you aren't just putting one student on the spot that may absolutely hate it, that can really help too. Because then if they're in a small group, there can be a spokesperson for the small group, like the most willing person to talk can talk. But I also think too, like if you hate icebreakers, you sh- I don't think you should do them because like students will feel that you're just feeling forced to do it. They're going to feed off your energy. And I think there are other things you can do, other opportunities besides necessarily a game to get to know them. Yeah. I love that idea of not putting someone on the spot because some people, I mean, like I said, melt under pressure when that spotlight is on them. And that could be a really scarring experience. I think we can all think back to a middle or high school experience where, I mean, you lived most of your life feeling like all eyes were on you. And so if you could just avoid that at all costs, you probably would choose to. So, um, and some of us that has carried on into adulthood. So I get it, but I do see value in like a shared experience and shared laughter together and some sort of relationship building in, in, in an activity together. And that's where I feel like the difference becomes an icebreaker, such as if the icebreaker is like, we're all going to go around and say our name and share a party trick. We have something like that would be so stressful for me. Cause I'm like, well, I don't have any cool party tricks. Like I can't, you know, and so the whole time I'm not even listening, all I'm doing is you mean, you can't juggle or do a Rubik's cube. I cannot. Both of those would be mine. Maybe at the same time. My husband would be doing a backflip and I would just be sitting there like sweating through my shirt. Whereas the alternative, which is a similar idea of getting to know each other is a game, an icebreaker, like over the mountain where you have, like you start off, you know, you're standing in the middle and everyone else is in a circle around you. And you say over the mountain, if, and you say any sort of thing that's true to you. I had a job this summer and everyone who had a job this summer gets up and switches places. Exactly. That's the kind of icebreaker where everyone's involved, but no one's on the spot necessarily. And then if you see that the last person standing is the one who ends up in the middle and you know that it's like, and they look like they're going to throw up, you can kind of move jump a little in. You could jump in and, jump and in. you could be the person. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the kind of icebreaker that is effective and get to know you, but doesn't put anyone on the spot. And it helps you as a counselor, like notice kids in the room, see how students are acting, like gives you an opportunity to use your counseling skills, kind of like in a a small group setting, you get to see how are students responding? What are their emotions like? How are they reacting? And what are they saying to each other? So it kind of can serve a lot of purposes. Okay. So as a teacher and now as a full-time curriculum writer, um, you do a lot of curriculum writing for science teachers. So counselors have standards too. We call them mindsets and behaviors. It's kind of our, our, curric- our framework for writing curriculum or deciding what we're going to do in classrooms or small group settings. So we do have something to work from. Teachers don't usually know that about us. But if a counselor said, okay, the reason I don't go into the classroom is because I don't even know where to start, what to tell them, what to teach them, what what would you tell them? Like, how would you tell them to start? Where would you tell them to start? Because you do like designing curriculum and a counselor doesn't have to go design like a full year's curriculum just to go into the classroom. But as a teacher, where is, give us some advice for where to start with that. 
Absolutely. I love writing curriculum, but not even every teacher doesn't necessarily love writing curriculum. Like it's almost like its own separate field. So I just want to encourage anyone listening who's like, I hate the idea of writing a lesson plan. Like that's okay. That doesn't speak to who you are as a school counselor or as a teacher, because there's so much more to teaching and school counseling than going in there and writing a lesson plan. But for someone like me, I'm like giddy about it because I love it. And so my two best and simplest strategies for just where to get started One is starting with the end in mind. So if you're going in to do a classroom lesson, what is the goal of the classroom lesson? Like, what are you hoping that these students are going to get from this lesson? And then working backwards from there. So once you have the goal, like at the end of this 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour I have with these students, I want X, Y, Z. Then start thinking from there. Okay, what do I need to do to hit that target with them? And then my second advice is I love to set it up in some sort of way that students are exploring and engaging with whatever the content or the information is before I'm just explaining or teaching it to them. In science, um, well, in all disciplines, but especially in science, we refer to this as inquiry-based teaching and methods or instructional methods. So this idea of, for example, like when you were talking about teaching students how to read a transcript. Instead of just walking in and like handing out a transcript and being like, all right, everyone, look at line one. That's your name. Look at line two. That's your cumulative GPA. They've already checked out, right? Right. Instead, it might be giving them some mock transcripts that you made up. Let's not give them like their peers' transcripts. You know, what you could use funny names. You could make celebrity names on the transcripts, you know, and then passing them out and saying, okay, I want you to look at this with a neighbor and what do you think this means? Go through and label there's, you know, A, part A, B, C, D, E, F of the transcript. I want you to write on a post note. What do you think A is? Everyone stick your post notes here on the whiteboard. Okay, what do you think B means? Stick it here. And we'll have them explore and guess with it. And then they can share their findings and talk through it. And then you can kind of teach and correct from there and explain it from there. I love that. It gets them trying to figure it out on their own. It gets them moving around, working with a partner, kind of all the things that ideally I would want them to do, but I don't have the background in with a master's degree in curriculum and instruction to, uh, you know, maybe put all those fancy words with it. But I know that's the objective and that's what I want to accomplish. Exactly. And it gets them out of their seat. And I love that kind of teaching strategy because it puts the centering on the student rather than on you. And again, that's helpful for those of you that are more introverted. Like you are not expected to come up here and have been on, you know, the speech and debate team for 20 years and give the most amazing monologue of your life in front of these students. Like the best thing you can do for yourself and them is to step back and let them explore and engage with it themselves. Yeah. And you know, like as counselors, my goal is not to give advice or my goal is not to be the teacher. I want students to discover things for themselves, whether it's something very task oriented, this is how you do this in the classroom or in an individual setting where it's more self-discovery and introspective thoughts that they're growing and learning. Like that's never something I'm going to be forcing on a student. I want them to come to these conclusions on their own and walk away saying, Hey, I did that. Or I learned that. Or now I'm different because of what the counselor guided me through and helped me with. Yes. It's more equipping as opposed to just educating in the form of like word vomit. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I see in Facebook groups a lot of times, maybe it's not as much high school. I see it a lot in middle school, a little bit in high school where people, where counselors say, 
okay, I'm going to start going into the classrooms because my principal really wants me to do this curriculum that they bought. They bought this new fancy curriculum for our district and they're ready for us to go in. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not super excited about it. It's just a canned curriculum. So maybe specific questions to ask or videos to show. So if the counselor isn't excited about something like that, but it's being put on their plate, what do you think they should do about it? I think first see if there's any way that you can manipulate it to make it useful. And if not, I think you change your admin's mind. I don't think you give up. I think we are so afraid, or at least I was, I should speak for myself. I was so afraid to ask admin for stuff. I mean, my first few years teaching, I did not ask admin for one single thing. And then my later years in teaching, I was so desperate for help. I was constantly asking, but what I saw is like the worst thing that happens is they say no. But eventually they will say yes, especially if you're asking them things all the time, because they're not just going to, they'll want to throw you a bone at some point and say yes to something. But I think the importance is showing them an alternative and showing them the value in what you're offering instead. Like, I think if you just go to them and you're like, this curriculum is terrible, I don't want to use it. They're going to be like, well, this is what we have. Whereas if you have an alternative that you want to use instead, you can bring it to them and show them the value by focusing on the benefits of like what you want to use, not just like features. Like, instead of just saying like, Oh, look at this curriculum though. It has X, Y, Z. You can say, look how this lesson plan could really, really change students or how we could do this. And then I think best word of all for admin is if you have any sort of data that can back up what you're trying to ask for, as opposed to what they've given you, that's what they really care about. And so that will only help your cause. You just said so many good things in there. We could do an entire podcast episode just on this, on this piece of how to work well with administrators. I, and maybe this is just me in general in life too, but I hate when someone complains about something, but doesn't offer a solution. So that gets you nowhere. If you're a counselor and you hate what's happening, whether it's in the, with your classroom curriculum or um, you know, you have too many duties as assigned or whatever to you that just keep popping up. But if you don't have a solution to it or why your solution is a better one based on data or benefits or features, then nothing is going to change. They're just going to hear you nagging and complaining and they're not going to change anything. But you said so many good things in there about um, using data to show how students are different because of what you're doing. And when you, when you keep asking, they will eventually say yes. I feel the same way about asking for money for things as a counselor or more support for something as a counselor. Like If they know that you're going to be in their office every Monday morning with a new idea, they're probably going to say yes eventually. Right. And if you're doing the, the, the labor of coming up with a solution, you're being a problem solver. You're not just being a complainer. I think that's the thing. We don't want to come off as a complainer. But so many people are hearing no from admin because they're just going there like saying, this is terrible, or we don't want to do this, or we don't have time for this, or X, Y, Z, as opposed to being like, hey, this isn't great. Here's an alternative I've come up with. Can we try this instead? Exactly. Now, this one, we we talked a little bit about that relationship with the teacher. And obviously, you and me have a great relationship. So... But I know that as a teacher, you were teaching for the EFC at the end of the semester. So I would even have, if I was trying to come into a biology class, I would have to be careful about, I would know that as a counselor, maybe not as a first year counselor though, that your educational time is, is, your instructional time is so important. And I do know that as a counselor, like I want to value that, but how can you build relationships? How could a high school counselor build a relationship with a teacher? Um, 
if the teacher seems like they have a real strong wall put up in front of them, like they do not want a counselor coming in to do a lesson. Totally. I mean, I think first it comes with like, you know, read the room. Like you said, I don't think you should go to the AP biology teacher or the AP English lit teacher that has this high stakes exam. Or like you said, for EOCs, there is the only science EOC in our state is biology. So just don't go in a biology class. Any other science class would probably be able to make it work. You know what I mean? So discern what you're doing, but then also as you're going to a teacher and saying, Hey, I really want to teach this lesson in your class. Ask them, what do you need? How could I partner with you? What could I teach in your class to help you? I mean, there are a lot of teachers out there that are struggling, especially with classroom management these last few years, because so many of our students haven't actually been in a traditional education setting in however many years, two, three years. And so there are so many teachers out there that are really having a hard time relationally with students. And that's where there's so much you can come in with and bring to the table. And you can ask them, hey, how, what is the, your biggest struggle with your students right now? Is it a respect issue? Is it, are, are your students really anxious? Are they whatever? And seeing what they say, and then you can come in and bring something to the table too. So maybe you're doing a 20 minute lesson on something you need to teach on for your standards as a school counselor, but then you're also doing X, Y, Z that, that will help the teacher as well. And it forms this partnership together. I love that. And if they end up liking the lesson, then they keep inviting you back and you don't have to do that legwork again of forming the relationship and saying, this is why it's valuable. They say, okay, do you want to come in next semester with my next group of students? Because that went really well. It aligned with my standards too. I mean, if you can you know, crosswalk those standards and say, hey, we're killing two birds with one stone here, that's huge. I also have noticed that sometimes teachers don't know what counselors do. And so they don't really know what we have to offer as counselors. So it's like, why would I invite you in if I have no idea what you're going to talk about, how it's going to benefit me, how it's going to benefit my students. And they're, they're drowning too much to even stop and like reach out for help when, if they just realize like, Hey, oh yeah, my students are very anxious in class or, you know, some of my students are sleeping all the time. Like, why are they doing that? And they're stressed out because they're trying to support the social emotional needs for their students where like, hey, if you just invite the counselor in, they can handle that really big part of their job that you as a teacher that has been put on you because these students are in your class. They have these needs. There's somebody else in the building who is very equipped to take that off your plate for you. Yes. And that that, that everything you said is so true. There is no part of at least a teaching program that I was a part of, which was great, but there was no part of my teacher training. That was about how I create partnerships with other coworkers to serve students and parents and work together. Like no one taught me how to relate to my admin or the value of other school counselors or the value of working as a department or making cross, you know, curricular connections with different departments. Like I did not learn that. And that is why I actually have an entire unit in my own professional development course for secondary science teachers about the importance of those relationships and those partnerships. Because like you said, there's so much that goes into teaching. Like, yes, there's teaching, but then there's also the lesson planning curriculum writing, which is like a whole nother full-time job. There's the classroom management. And like you said, there's all of these social emotional needs. And like, I had one class in my undergraduate program about like adolescent psychology. Like I don't, I am not equipped to deal with all of these issues that students are bringing to the table, but I wasn't aware for years that there was someone in the building who could help me. 
And so I think that is so huge. I love hearing you talk about on social media, Lauren, you're always talking about advocating for your position with admin, but I think it's also advocating with other teachers. Like they have no idea what you do. Like I would say the majority of teachers see you, you all, you school counselors as the guidance counselors that we had growing up, that it's like, they, like you said, they print your transcript, they write your recommendation for college. If you're trying to go to college and you see them for like standardized testing, you have no, idea. you think they just sit in an office all day. You don't realize all of the things that y'all are capable of and that you do. And then as part of your job description. Right. Thanks for cheering us on because all of those old descriptions of that old timey guidance counselor, like make my skin crawl. And even to think there are teachers out there where that is their framework. That's what they believe. So advocating for this role is so important. It's so important. And like, I am the primary example of that. I remember applying for colleges and them saying I had to have a recommendation from my guidance counselor. And I was like, but I've never met her. Like I was at a huge public school and I remember going in and being like, why is this stranger having to write me a letter of recommendation? So that was the understanding I brought to the table. And it wasn't until I lived with you and saw all that you all do and that you all, you all, you're just like teachers. You didn't get into this for like the money or to be like a data, you know, recorder. You got into this for the relationships with students and because you care about students. And so how can we partner together to do that? And I just think there's so much value you can bring to the table. Yes. And I love that. I mean, I don't love it because this is a gap in both of our like master's education programs that, you know, you didn't have this experience with the social emotional part. And maybe we'll see changes with that in the next couple of years. I think it's becoming a bigger thing and uh, becoming more obvious that students need help with this um, in the classroom setting where you're seeing them as a teacher all day, every day. But there was this gap that you had as a teacher to meet that need which can be filled by somebody else in the building, but also like counselors had this gap of classroom management and designing curriculum. It's like, we, we're not supposed to necessarily fill those gaps for each other, but it's how can we step in and partner together to make each other better in those areas? Totally. And like we said a couple of times, like I am going to connect with only a certain amount of students really relationally well in my classroom. And, but by bringing in other people, then there are other personalities that students can connect with on that deep emotional level, you know? And that's why, you know, it's so great that students have multiple teachers throughout their call, you know, their high school career and they have their school counselor. So hopefully they're getting a few meaningful connections throughout those years, but that's where having them be exposed to a variety of personalities is beneficial for everyone too, because maybe I can't connect with a student, but you can. Exactly. And I'm thinking that opportunity. Yeah. And I'm thinking of even the department that I worked in with eight counselors, there were a lot of personalities from with eight different people, you know, across the board, some who are more confident and comfortable going into classrooms than others, but each student can see themselves in a different one of these adults in front of them, you know, whether it's a counselor, whether it's a teacher, an adult in the building who is holding a leadership role, who is hopefully respected and knowledgeable about their area, you know, Hopefully uh, every student, whether that is their counselor or, um, you know, it's somebody else that's delivering that information, they can go, okay, that's a safe person in my building. I might not be best friends with that adult in the building, but I know that they're a safe person, that they have communicated safety. You, you mentioned it earlier, care, and that they could be someone that they go to in, in case of an emergency or in case of, you know, some sort of meltdown. I 
have experienced that with students a lot. Like they've never met their counselor, but I had just been in their classroom for a lesson the week before. And, you know, they come into school in tears and they don't know who to talk to, but they see that face. They might not even remember my name, but they see my face and say, can I talk to you? It's like, oh, I didn't even realize I made an impact there. Right. I mean, I can't imagine how transformational it would be if we could say that every single student in our building has at least one adult in the building that they feel safe with. And so why wouldn't we want to create partnerships with other adults in the building to try to connect as many students with different adults as possible so that every student can have one person they feel safe coming to? Exactly. Okay, Rebecca, what is something that you wish counselors knew about teachers? I would say that 95% of us are really overwhelmed and desperate for help, but we don't know that help and partnership is available. Like I said, like no one taught or modeled that for us. And so we've never thought like, oh, I could actually work together alongside the school counselor to reach students better, especially the really difficult ones. And I think, and maybe not even the really difficult ones, but I, looking back at my time in the classroom most recently, I think about a lot of those students that were C students. Like I feel like those A, B students get a lot of attention and then the ones that are failing get a lot of attention. But then there's so many students that are in the middle of the road that kind of just like, you know, walk through their time at school. And I just think, man, I wish I had taken more time to figure out how to reach all of those students and utilize other people to make sure that someone was connecting with each of these students. Like how could we partner together as their teachers and school counselors to do that? So I would say that's something I wish counselors would know is that like a lot of teachers, we just don't know what we don't know. And we don't know that there is a way that we could partner together to reach students better. Definitely. And on the flip side of that, I think counselors would want teachers to know a lot of the same stuff that 95% of us are overwhelmed and desperate for help and partnership. But like, how do we do that without bothering a teacher who you can very evidently see cannot handle one more thing? Instead of feeling paralyzed by that as a counselor, I think we should say with confidence, hey, how can I, these are ways I can help you. Not even maybe how can I help you? Cause like you said, maybe they don't know what they don't know. These are ways that I can help you. Let me know if, if you would like me to take me up on any of this sometime, because we're both here for the same reason to serve students, to help students, to see them grow. And if there is a way that we can do that together, I think we can move mountains. And I don't think that is, I don't think that's like, I'll come and give you a bathroom break so you can, you know, have some time out of your classroom. Like, I'm not talking like that. I'm talking like, what are ways that we can both help each other as professionals help students? Because that is the goal. Like that's, we're trying to move students to be better than when they walked in the doors of our classroom or our school building or our office. Absolutely. And I feel like if there's a teacher that's like incredibly resistant to sacrificing any time for a school counselor to come in, an offer could be, because I know you know, one thing you and I have talked a lot about is like, especially teachers like me who are super type A, like my lesson plans are rigid. I have like the whole year planned out in advance because I'm that particular, but your schedule is a lot more transient based on like what is thrown at you on a day-to-day basis. Like who walks in your door? You don't even know. And so one of the things you could do to partner with teachers is say, Hey, if you ever have a substitute, like if you get this stomach bug and you got to like call in for a sub, shoot me an email. Cause that would be a great partnership to be like, okay, the teacher doesn't have to write a sub plan. 
that's just, they're like winging while they're puking because they have, you know, the stomach virus from their three-year-old and you get a chance to come into the classroom and do something meaningful with that time. And so I feel like that's like the worst case scenario, but it would still be extremely helpful. That is how I have inched myself into classrooms where I felt some resistance from a teacher. Like, hey, you finished the EOC and now you have two days where you're watching movies. You've got nothing to do. I mean, as a teacher, you're thinking, what am I going to do with students so they're not jumping out the window? Like, I need to have them entertained or doing something relevant. So call on the counselor and say, hey, do you have a lesson that would be good for ninth graders? Because I'd love to have you in. Or plan that ahead of time if you already know your calendar for the whole year. We would love to do that. And I definitely did that with teachers who I felt the resistance, even if they didn't have some high stakes test, they just were set in their ways. I was like, hey, do you have a day coming up where you know you're taking a personal day? I would love to come in and take over for that day. I mean, yes. they don't have to create sub plans. That's huge. No teacher likes writing a sub plan. I mean, if you do, please DM me. I would love to meet you. I mean, it's just not, it's not fun at all. So to think that someone could be still doing something meaningful with my students while I was out is huge. I think that is so helpful. And I love what you said too, about like that dead time, like after an EOC, or I think about the way we structured final exams at the school we taught at together, where students like had to come every day, even if they were exempted. And then, so you'd have an exam, but then you still have like three days after it where you like exams were done, but you're still in the building. Like that's a great time to have someone come in because you're not moving on to new content or anything like that. So I definitely think doing, giving teachers options too is huge of like, Hey, here are four times I can come. What do you think? Yeah. And come up with different systems to make that manageable. Like if you send an email and the teacher never responds to the email, don't just assume the worst and think, Oh, they hate me. They don't want me to come into their classroom. Maybe they missed it. They had a million other things going on that day. Stop by in person and ask them or give them, you know, give them options, give them a sign up link to pick the time that works for them. I mean, you know, if you, where there's a will, there's a way and you can make it happen. I'm not a fan of excuses for counselors who just say, oh, we don't have time. We don't, they don't let us go in there. I mean, combine the the work with changing administrators' minds, combined with relationship building with teachers, and you will find a way to get into the classroom. Right. And there's enough teachers that like not every single teacher is going to be resistant. If you just keep asking, there will be teachers who are going to let you in. And then those ones tell their friends and they say this is a great lesson. And then it all works out. They see the value. Yeah, absolutely. Rebecca, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention or add? I just think, I think we've totally said this a thousand times, but I just really think if you're overwhelmed and you're like, this was so much, I'm overwhelmed even just listening to this. I think the number one takeaway I would love for you to walk away with is valuing relationship over anything else, relationship with your coworkers and with students. Like if you are loving and caring for students on a one-on-one level, and building relationships with your coworkers, all these other things are going to kind of fall into place eventually. That would be like the number one thing I would say. If it's just too many things to do, do this one thing, and that's build relationships. I think that's great. That's such a good point. And good things will come after that. Your classroom lessons and your classroom management will, will come to fruition, I think. Absolutely. Like I'm so much more willing to let someone into my classroom space that I know like and trust and have a relationship with, as opposed to someone who's just like keeps emailing me over and over again. And I don't even know you. And you're trying to like take 20 minutes of my class. Like, who are you? (laughs) Um, Where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or if they have any other questions about classroom lessons, management, curriculum, just 
they need a confidence boost or a pep talk, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at its.not.rocket.science. And you can find me at it's not rocket science classroom.com. Those are the two best places. And if you have any science teacher friends, send them my way. I have my own podcast called Secondary Science Simplified. And I would love, love, love to connect with any of your science teaching friends at your school. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure we put all that contact information in the show notes and I'll post about it and link to you so they can definitely find you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for listening to today's episode of High School Counseling Conversations. All of the links I talked about today can be found in the show notes and also at counselorclick.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a new episode. Connect with me over on Instagram. Send me a DM at counselorclick. That's C-L-I-Q-U-E. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I'll see you next time.